This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to today's morning break on Teachers Talk Radio with me, Holly King-Mand. This week, we're talking to home educators about how and why they do what they do and what we can learn from them. Grab yourself a cup of tea, get ready to listen into the conversation. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good morning, listeners, and welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. So this week, as I said, we are talking to home educators. Are any of you home educators? Have you come from classroom teaching to teaching your own children children at home? Have you been entirely put off by the prospect of teaching your own children around the kitchen table post-pandemic? Um, Or is it something that maybe some students in your class, their parents are thinking of doing? What are the reasons that those children and their families are thinking of doing that? It's a very complex and loaded conversation, uh, not least because of the recent schools bill, which uh, by all accounts seem to have been put on a um, long term hold, which can only be a good thing. But we are joined today by two home educators that have chosen to educate their children at home for two entirely different reasons. Um, And it seems to be working out brilliantly for them. Their children are thriving and really enjoying learning. And as parents, and both of them, both sets of parents as teachers, are also really enjoying the experience of teaching their own children at home. Me personally, I find doing homework with my own children challenging enough, Um, but I can see the thrill in having that really wide, um, open discovery approach to, to learning. And maybe there is something that we can learn from these home educators about how we approach teaching and learning in the classroom. So first of all, I'm joined by KJ and, um, Oh. <laughs> and I'm now joined by KJ, who is a home educator herself. And um, KJ, thank you for coming to talk to Teachers Talk Radio today about your home education experience. Um, so why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your children and why you made the decision to home educate them? Right. Well, um, we first started looking into home education when I was pregnant with my first. So super early on in our parenting journey excuse me um my husband at the time was looking at a career in professional sports that was going to have him traveling a lot and i just didn't want to be left at home with the children all the time so home educating meant that we could travel together we weren't bound to school holidays we could get schoolwork done wherever he was working and basically wanted to keep us together as a family unit as it happened he had a catastrophic injury (laughs) and ended up going into teaching himself (laughs) yes so he's an assistant head at a local school um and we just kind of already made the decision to home educate at that point and the more we got embedded in the home education community the more we were like this is the right choice for our kids initially We'd only planned to do it for maybe till they were seven. And then we kind of went, oh, just for primary. And it very quickly became a lifestyle. We've always said to the children, you can attend school if you want to. And interestingly, my 12 year old has just found a school that she thinks she might be interested in. But my 14 year old is pretty adamant that he is still wanting to be home educated currently. Okay, so this is a really um, this will be a really nice perspective because lots of the home educators that I've spoken to um, have had really uh, like negative experiences yeah. at school, or their child has an additional need that they don't feel can be accommodated by a school. 
Um, so it's, this is an interesting perspective <laughs> because you've come to this from just purely from a practicality angle, I guess, to start with. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that's not to say that some of the other issues don't exist as well. So um, as it happens, I'm autistic and have ADHD. We didn't know it when we chose to home educate, but both of our children are autistic. <laughs> um, and um, my son, they're querying a diagnosis of ADHD currently. So potentially, had they gone to school, we might have run into <laughs> the same have... problems as some of the other parents. <laughs> so but you I may have come to this right yeah, from the other side. Anyway. Yeah. But overwhelmingly, we've found the flexibility with home education and being able to tailor your child's learning, being able to work with them on their strengths and then, uh, you know, perhaps helping support them with their weaknesses. But that individualized approach of support has meant that our children have generally thrived, um, much to the surprise of many of the professionals working with them, they've achieved far more than they were expected to, purely, I think, because we have that holistic, integrated, you know, there isn't a separation of work and home life. So it's not like they're being taught something at school and parents at home are undermining it or, or vice versa. It's that continuous lifestyle education that, you know, wrap around consistency, which, you know, for kids with particularly children who are autistic, that consistency when they're young is so, so important. Um, so, yeah, we like you say, we potentially would have come here anyway, but we haven't had any adverse school experiences. Um, and I, we lived and worked in a school for 15 years and we, we love education. My husband still works in a school. I run a business providing computing workshops for primary schools. So we're not anti-school in any way at all. <laughs> that's really, like I say, that's really interesting because it, it will be different to a lot of the stories that we're going to hear on Teachers Talk Radio today. Um, so what does home education look like for your family? Because I hear stories, uh, you know, and I, I follow lots of home educators on social media. And for some of them, it's almost like replicating school, but at home. And for others, it's a, a lot more sort of seamlessly, like you were saying, part of, you know, a, a continual lifestyle of learning at home. But uh, what does it manifest like in your household? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and it's one that if you asked me at any 12 month period in our journey, it you would have got a completely different answer. <laughs> really? <laughs> um, yeah. So it's really fascinating because home education, like you say, it does look so different in different families um <clears throat> but I've been I've been running one of the largest Christian home educating networking groups in the UK for 12 years now wow and uh, well as part of a team but um you do find there are some people who are very strong advocates for one particular style of home ed they don't always stay there um and so I believe very much in adapting learning to children, right? And so certainly when my children were younger, they loved a workbook. They were excited to get their geography book out and colour in the map and find, answer mm -hmm. the questions and quizzes. Um, as they've got older, that style of learning feels very condescending. Um, and what I think is interesting in the home ed community is children because they mix with different age groups quite naturally. There isn't this, you were born in this year, so you stick with children from this year. They do tend to have relationships that are older and younger than themselves, and they don't see peers as necessarily age boundaried, but more subject or interest boundaried. And so they think nothing of having, you know, a granny, from next door is their best friend for a while because we both happen to be really into crochet at the minute. Um, or, you know. That's a, it's a lovely positive to, yeah, to come Yeah, it from is. It. And, you know, some of my daughter's best friends like three years younger than her, but they just, they've got a shared love of Animal Crossing. Um, <laughs> and so they, they don't seem to restrict themselves in relationships. And that means that because they're mixing with lots of different age groups, they do, um, seem to in some ways mature more slowly and in other ways mature more quickly and so the idea of handing out a workbook and testing my children 
now feels a bit condescending. They learn in the same ways I learn. If they want to know about something, they open up a laptop and ask Google or, you know, they, they might look on YouTube for a video about something that they want to revise. Like they're less likely to want a workbook or, a, you know, it's very rare that we do a sort of lecturing teaching style with them. Um, we do a lot of learning through discovery. So um, I, one of the things I've got some new robotics kits that I'm taking into primary schools and my children have just really enjoyed playing with the software. And rather than teaching them programming, I'll show them a couple of basics and then just leave them alone with it. And kids are far more creative. <laughs> they find give things them credit on, they, for, yeah. Yeah, they find things they that I didn't even have on the lesson plan. And I go, oh, that's a good idea. I'll add that. Um, you know, they, they do just come up with things by themselves if we kind of give them the space to do that. And that's the part that I think is difficult in a large classroom. And, and so one of the things, one of the benefits of home education is smaller group sizes. So even if we do an activity with friends, we tend to keep the group sizes a lot smaller. So mm -hmm. it's far easier to differentiate than it would be if we had a class with 30 children in it. Yeah, um, I suppose their, their individual needs are not getting lost yeah. in a class of 30. Yeah, exactly. And it's far easier for them to communicate to us what support and you know what support needs they have and for us to meet those support needs do you think home educated children size? are better at asking for help because they're 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 often learning in smaller groups yeah I'm gonna it's a big question isn't it because even as I asked I've got, it, I I've thought, got well, maybe two. the flip side of that too you're, yeah I've got two know. answers for you for this and one is that children who've never been to school yes I think they are better at advocating for themselves. They are used to having their voices heard and having their needs met. And so there's not that resistance to asking for something and being told that either it's not available or, um, you know, put your hand down, we're doing something else right now. Um, children who come to home ed having been in a school, and this isn't to say all school children will experience this, but children who come to home ed from school it's usually because they've had an adverse school experience right if everything's going brilliantly at your child's school you don't pull them out to home educate so if they've had an adverse experience in school that has usually included not feeling like their needs are getting met not feeling like their voice is being heard and so if the child feels like well there's no point asking i just get told to be quiet or to wait or it's not talking time or whatever then they're less likely mm. to meet their needs because they don't think that needs going to be met um however i was in a school yesterday and i saw the most amazing thing the classroom teacher as they were doing roll call had the children calling out numbers and i was like what are these numbers about and he was writing them down and it dawned on me as we kept going that the higher the number the more happy and engaged and excited the child seemed to be and the lower the number the more withdrawn the child was and then we got to the end and he said, just before Coach KJ starts, um, we've got a couple of low numbers in the room. Can we just do some quick sorries and thank yous? It sounds like something's gone wrong at lunchtime. And these hands shot up all over the room and children started publicly and specifically apologising to one another for things that had happened at lunchtime and then forgiving each other. And I just thought, what an amazing culture there is in that school that children feel safe to admit publicly, I did this wrong, what I've done wasn't okay. And there's no fear of I'm going to be told off or disciplined, they're just encouraged to apologise. And I think that's something that if I could bring one thing from the home ed community into schools, it would be creating that safe space where children know that it's okay to make a mistake we mm. apologize and we can move on but it's safe for them to admit I don't know I don't understand or I did this wrong without fear of discipline that is going to be yeah I think there is a big fear for children in school that there's going to be some sort of punishment or sanction if they if they do something wrong out of curiosity was it a um a church school or or not just because my children go to a church school and um there's a, a lot more emphasis on um apologizing and forgiveness 
than mm. I've experienced in any of the schools that I've worked in. Yeah, interesting. It was a church school that they are that um, I, I hadn't clocked that. Um, but I'm just thinking back to the name of the school and it does have CE yeah. in it. So I'm guessing it's a Church of England school. <laughs> so um, when I asked about how um, home education manifests in your household, um, I'm always curious because um, I have some of the lovely Instagram families, uh, home ed families that I follow. They have these really gorgeous, like not quite a classroom, but a space for, <laughs> for dedicated learning. Do you have that in your house or does it just happen everywhere and anywhere and when my children were young we did have a dedicated school room um, that was largely because we were living in a school and i needed a living room that was presentable for adults to come into <laughs> and one that was chaos with all their craft projects and their lego and their um you know whatever constructs kapla planks they used to absolutely love building huge kapla plank construction projects um and you know just one of the worst things for creativity is telling them stop now it's time to tidy up mm. um because it they're just frustrated if they don't get to finish the project but also like nothing's ever finished when you're building or creating nothing's ever finished there's always more you can do um and so allowing them the freedom of you never have to tidy away something you're working on in this room was a huge luxury that we had my sister was home educating her own children as well at the time down the road. We used to do lots of things together. And I know that that was something that she really struggled with because they were using their dining table, their kitchen table as their home ed space as well. And it meant that three times a day they had to clear everything up so that they could eat. Um, and that's a lot harder for a family to manage. So we were very blessed that we had that opportunity to have a separate space we no longer have a separate space um, that isn't something that we needed once our kids got beyond the stage of building huge connects projects now that, they're, <laughs> now that they tend to be working a bit more at desktop computers or um you know on ipads and things they just do that wherever they feel comfortable and so sometimes that's in the garden in the summer it might be at the kitchen table whilst i'm cooking or it might be in the living room or in their bedrooms it just we're kind of flexible about where we're working now wonderful and um what would you say are the the major difficulties that the home education community and home educators themselves face um one would definitely be financial constraints um i know that a lot of I, i'm fortunate that I've, I've always been able to work around my children because i'm you know i was self-employed um or employed by the school that we lived in so it was easy to work around having my children with me that isn't the case in most families which means that they become single income families and unless your partner is earning a huge amount of money being a single income family in the uk is tough mm, and um, now more than ever yeah it really is and when you add to that the fact that you are home more than you would be if you weren't home educating. So things like switching the heating off whilst you're all at school, that doesn't happen. Um, you know, and you might be out and about. A lot of home educators aren't actually home that much in the day. That's kind of a misconception. We do go out. Um, but we might go out for three hours in the morning or for three hours in the afternoon. And that doesn't negate the fact that we were still home for a longer period than yeah. we would have been if the children were at school. And then obviously you've got the cost of all the materials and resources, tutoring clubs. So things like gymnastics and parkour lessons or riding lessons or, um, you know, any kind of group coaching activity. Those are all costs that have to come out of your family budget. So financial stress is usually a big deal in home ed. And then you add on to that the fact that because you've opted out of going to school, you don't get things like e-vouchers for holiday clubs or half funded clubs. So you can't get the free school meals. Um, you know, there's wow, a whole so a load huge... of provision that you wow. are opting out of when you choose to do register from a school, um, which, you know, it can be really, really difficult. Um, and I know there's a huge sort of conflict over whether or not there should be a compulsory register for home education. 
one of these sort of arguments that is frequently thrown at home educators is if you would register the LA could support you better but my experience of home education in the last 15 years is that LA's do not have the funding to support the number of home educators they have what funding could they possibly offer home educators when they can barely fund the schools they've got and the EHCPs mm. they've got the idea that if we all registered we'd bankrupt the LA there's far too many of us for them to provide support for yeah um, it would need a whole a whole lot of attention to the, the I mean even if we all even if we all just like returned that. to school tomorrow they couldn't afford to fund the places required for the schools the amount of funding even without EHCPs, just the standard student funding that would be required to, you know, I know of at least 300 families in Bedford that would, if you all put them all to school tomorrow, imagine all that excess funding you'd need to find for them. Gosh. And then a ton of them would have EHCPs. Realistically, a lot of people home educate for additional needs. So the money just isn't there. Yeah. Um, well, that brings me nicely on to my last question. Um, what, what does, what could, or what should the Department for Education learn from home educators? Oh, um, and I, I know again, it's, yeah. a, it's a huge question. It's a huge question. Um, I feel really strongly that over the last, you know, a long time, it depends how many teachers you speak to, but a lot of the teachers I know who've kind of lost the love of teaching, it's because it's become too much box, che box checking, it's too prescribed, there's too many, you're not given the freedom to educate the children how you think is, how you think is best. And I know, you, you know, not everyone's going to get that right. But when we try to standardise education too much, I think it ultimately always ends up failing the majority. Because if we take an average of any group, you're always going to be letting down those who could have been stretched further and you're going to be making it too difficult for those who, who, who wouldn't be able to achieve it. And so, you know, we know that that's where we have different grading options at GCSEs and A-levels and things. We don't just say pass or fail. We, we've got options, right? Um, and the more standardised education is, the less appealing it is to the majority. Mm. Um, and, you know, like I say, my, my daughter's found a school that she might be interested in now. That's because she found a school for autistic girls on Instagram. Now, that's rare. Like, she has never wanted to attend school because she couldn't see a model for school where she felt like she could fit in and feel safe. Now that she's seen one, she's decided, actually, maybe I do want to go to school. If we are standardising education, schools like that just don't exist or at least they're incredibly rare. Yeah. What would what I would love the Department for Education to do is allow schools to differentiate and individualize more and create their own unique style and approach to education and culture so that children can find the places that work for them and families can find the schools that are the right environment for them. Um you know maybe it's a bit of a utopian idea no but but, but it, it happens in um in early years in preschools you exactly. know you have i mean we're quite lucky in um in and around Leighton buzzard that we've got montessori preschools yeah. um my children went to an absolutely fabulous forest school preschool and they spent from 12 o'clock every day outside in the woods Amazing. um and we we had and there was there's a another preschool that's um part of the school now that they attend that's very much like school and they're in uniform from the, the day they start there and they go to assembly every other worship every day um and there's such a, a choice that you can find something that really suits your children and, and the, the what your your family want from education and it if only the department of education the could minority, draw that. right that's not the majority of schools no but but if we can do it in early years or if, yeah. if it can be offered in early years then it, why and, can't it be and i you know as through. you know maybe it's biased but i would love to see um barriers to education for students removed so even as we were talking you were saying things like uniform from an early age there's loads of kids for sensory reasons cannot wear school uniform 
why don't we just remove it? Like, mm. how how does it prove what our learners are achieving, whether they're wearing a school uniform or not? Um, I'd love to see much less focus on things that don't matter. Un- unimportant. That we yeah, can prioritise just... the things that do. And we're yeah. not setting up boundaries that are arbitrary for kids to fail with, um, particularly in large groups, because, you know, you're always seen as the odd one who can't do something if everyone else can do it. Well, if it's not a requirement that is important for your learning, can we just remove it? Why is it important that we do that? Um, In the same way that, you know, if, if a student is really, really struggling with something, we have to go through an EHCP process to get them that support that they need how about we just accept that the student is struggling and offering them some support mm. do you need a medical diagnosis to support someone who's struggling with something or is it okay to just say if they're struggling we'll support you in this area until you're not struggling mm. in, with it anymore and, and that's and I something think... that I think in home ed is so much more readily available because the EHC process is so long and children develop grow and develop at different times Mm. and a student who really needs something today might not need it in six months or a year Mm. but that flexibility of being able to individualize learning it doesn't happen when classes are huge and so you know even I'm what nearly 40 I think the average class size when I was young was like 23 it was 25 was a big class and I get it funding their class sizes get bigger and bigger but I would love for the DfE to recognise that it is not sustainable for class sizes to just keep growing mm. and that children learn best when we keep those class sizes restricted so that teachers can do what they do best, knowing their learners and supporting them the way they need to be supported. Wonderful. Well, let's hope the the DfE are listening today. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to send them the link to this. Get listening. Amazing. Important, important. Um, right. Thank you, um, KJ, so much oh, for so coming on to Teachers Talk Radio and um, so a really nice and interesting perspective on home education that um, lots of teachers and, and other home ed families might not necessarily have considered. Um, all the best with the rest of your home education journey. And I, and I hope that your if your daughter goes to that school that she's picked, that she has a wonderful time there. Yeah, me too. <laughs> thank you so much, Holly. <laughs> Lovely to speak to you today. You too. Thank you. So that was KJ and we're going to the news now and to hear from some um, other organisations that can help and support you as teachers. And then we'll be speaking to Amy, who is also a home educator and made her home education choices for slightly different reasons to KJ and also brings um, some really interesting perspective to this conversation. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. With 
the World Cup due to begin, TES magazine reveals why some schools won't be screening games during school time. The competition held in Qatar is the subject of much concern from some school leaders worried about the ethics of showing games held in a country with a poor record when it comes to human rights. England play one game against Iran during school hours, but whilst many school leaders have chosen to show significant games in the past, some are choosing not to do so this time. FIFA's choice to host the tournament in Qatar has been controversial from the outset because of the country's laws on homosexuality and its treatment of migrant workers. Some heads have said that showing the game would be at odds with lessons on diversity and equality. Not all leaders share the same view, and some schools will show the game, but will have what is described as age-appropriate discussions about the ethics of the tournament alongside. Decisions of this nature are always left to individual school leaders, and as debate about the tournament continues, the only real certainty is that this World Cup will be remembered for its controversial hosts if nothing else. The last week has seen many schools participate in activities to mark Anti-Bullying Week. To further acknowledge the impact bullying can have on young people and their families, the Government's Education Hub has published an article laying out what they're doing to help combat bullying in education. This support has largely been in the form of government grants to fund projects and organisations who do important anti-bullying work. This has included further funding for the Diana Award, a recognised anti-bullying programme, the Anti-Bullying Alliance, a new programme to prevent and tackle bullying through quality RSHE education, the Anne Frank Trust to continue the different but the same project, diversity role models, developing intervention materials for schools and equality to support multi-academy trusts or local authorities to create change. Full details of all the projects and the funding can be found on the .gov UK website as well as in the Preventing and Tackling Bullying Guidance. The Scottish Government will launch an online national discussion on Scottish education the week beginning the 21st of November. Children, young people, parents, carers and teachers are being encouraged to take part by registering for events. Those who register will be able to talk directly to the independent facilitators, Professor Alma Harris and Professor Carol Campbell. The discussion was first launched in September but in order to ensure as full a discussion as possible, the online events have also been launched. So far, the discussion has received 3,500 responses and feedback will be open until the 5th of December. The Schools and Academy Show 2022 saw the Chair of Ofqual, Ian Buckham, discuss plans for exams and grading for 2023, as well as considering the future of exams, assessment and the use of technology. In his speech, he made it clear that exams and other formal assessments that are like exams give students the fairest chance to show what they know and what they can do. He cited feedback from students, parents and teachers, which he said was overwhelmingly positive, particularly about the return to normal exams in 2022 after the difficulties of the pandemic. Whilst exams in 2023 will see a return to pre-pandemic grading, Safeguards will be put in place to ensure no pupil is disadvantaged. This will be the same as those put in place for the 2017 series when pupils sat the reformed GCSE and A-level qualifications for the first time. He went on to speak about the impact of digital tech and described it as when, not if, there would be a greater use of it in high stakes exams. He did, however, acknowledge that a move to greater digital assessment can only come about through joint working across a range of partners and stakeholders, so as not to experiment with young people's futures. A full transcript of the speech can be found on the DfE website. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to look at smartwatches. For those of you that don't know what a smartwatch is, it's basically a watch that has the ability to connect to your phone, enhancing the experience of the owner's smartphone by delivering notifications and controls via an interface, which shows more discreetly and allows the user to decide whether they need to get their phone out or not. This is a real bonus for teachers, as a lot of schools have no phones policies, making it difficult to be contacted 
during the day. Some smartwatches also can stand alone without the need for a short-range phone connection as they've got built-in cellular or Wi-Fi capability, extending the range of connection, allowing the phone to be left at home. Although this can be useful, you need to bear in mind that there are additional costs for this and answering calls makes you look like you're on an episode of Star Trek talking to your wrist unless you have headphones and replying to texts can be tricky using the watch interface. That being said, one of the most powerful features of smartwatches is the ability to use contactless payment with them real time saver and also peace of mind. A downside of contactless payment using smart devices is some payment machines, in particular parking meters, only accept cards. This needs to be kept in mind when traveling around. So what is the best? Well, that depends on the phone you currently have. It isn't really about the best, it's about compatibility. If you want an Apple Watch, you need to have an Apple phone. Android allows more options and also can be considerably cheaper. You need to ask yourself a few questions to decide what's best for you. Here are the questions I'd ask when considering a smartwatch. What do I want it for? If it's to see notifications from my phone, could an activity tracker be what I'm after? Compatible with all mobile phone platforms, there is a reduced control interface, but for around £50, alongside tracking your activity, you can see notifications without the need to get your phone out. What is the battery life like? Will it last until you get home to charge it? What's the display like? Will you be able to see it at a glance? What if you get messaged while pointing at a pupil's work? Will they see it? Can notifications be adjusted so you are not accidentally sharing? Is it noisy? Can you silence it? Can you switch it to vibrate? And finally, some phone contracts allow you to add on extra devices. Will it be cheaper to do it that way or to buy it outright? As always, I'd love to hear your favourite teaching tech. Do you wear a smartwatch? Let us know at TTR 2022. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. So welcome back from the news and um, our wonderful sponsors. And the conversation continues. We are talking today about home education and what we as teachers and schools and even the Department for Education, what we can learn from this very passionate group of parents. And now we have Amy, who is also a home educator. Amy, welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. Oh, thank you for having me. Oh, uh, it's lovely to have you. So why don't you start by telling us about your children and, um, and why home education suits your family? Okay, so um, yeah, I have three children, two boys aged six, eight and six, and then a little baby. Um, and I used to be a teacher, um, and then when my older son was born, I, for various reasons, ended up staying at home with him full time when he was little. And when we got to the point of deciding what to do with him, um, he has an August birthday and he really was not ready to start school at four. So we thought we would just delay it um, a couple of years to just allow him a bit more time to actually physically develop. He wasn't um, there with all the skills he would need um, to get the most out of school and then what we've done is if we've got more into home ed as a lifestyle as a as we've made friends in the community we've just carried on because we're really enjoying it so the things i think are really good for us um so firstly i have very active little boys so it's really great that they can have so much physical activity and time with their friends time outside 
um, and they can do everything through play. So that they're very play-based sort of approach. Um, we can travel at their pace in all the academic subjects. So for example, my older son took a bit longer to learn to read compared to my younger son. So my younger son learned to read like by magic at age four, like I turned around and he could read. And my older son needed some structured support and got there about six and a half. And um, my younger son, I think, would be frustrated because actually he would have gone into school already being able to read and phonics would not have been a good use of his time. Whereas my older son would have found himself feeling behind because he hadn't learned to read um, sort of at four or five. And they're both fluent readers now very competent at it. So I, I feel like allowing them the, the, the time to move at the pace that was right for them and to use a, an approach that worked for them was really beneficial. Um, I think the main thing, though, the reason we like it and the reason they enjoy it is it's time as a family. So they really would miss each other very much. They are their, their you know, their best friends with each other. Um, I love being with them so much. They love being with with me and each other. And you know, I think if the pandemic's taught us anything, it's how fleeting life is and how quick yes. things go by. Time goes by. So yeah. That's sort of a long answer <laughs> no well that's that's great and that's that's nice to hear I'm, I'm always curious um for when pe parents say oh I, you know I, I now home educate or I, we, we are a home educating family and they say that they are a teacher mm. um did, did that have any sort of um did that contribute to your decision at all? Because being a teacher or being trained as a teacher, you have you know a, a very good knowledge and understanding of teaching and learning. Or did, did that not really come into it? Did you was that something that you and maybe the other home educating families you know that doesn't put anybody off from doing it? Um, so I do happen to know a lot of <laughs> home educating families where, where the, particularly the mum uh, used to be a teacher. Just um, that's the way it's worked out. I, I actually think it's a bit of a mixed blessing. So I think being a teacher previously gives gave me the confidence to think, yeah, I can do this myself. But I think that's where the benefit ends, because actually what you naturally try and do is kind of put on to your home life the kind of approach that you used in a classroom. And they're completely separate environments in the sense that what works really well in the classroom um, becomes either irrelevant or um, unnecessary or even stressful in in home life. And you have to work through a lot of questions yourself as a teacher, like this is what I used to do. Is, is this suitable for only two children that I know really well in this context? So let me just give you a classic example would be like testing. So in a in a school classroom, testing is really important because you do not have time as a staff member to work around every child and ask them, can they do this particular math problem or can they, you know, can they um, have they learned this this fact or whatever. So the, the only way you can manage the time is to get them all to sit a paper and then you mark it afterwards and then you get, you know, that kid really didn't understand that or that one's absolutely got it. Um, or, you know, the whole class did badly on that. I'm going to have to go over that. <laughs> Thanks, <next> God. <laughs> um, but I don't need to ever run a test for my children because I know exactly what they can and can't do because we talk about things all the time. So, um, you know, do they, can they do, you know, can they work with money? Well, you know, they'll look up, I want to buy this new Lego set that's come in and it's 24 99 They'll go and cut that money in the money box. And then we'll have a discussion about, we're well, only on 12 pounds, so how many more pounds do you need? And if they can't work that out, then clearly there's, um, you know, there's an issue there we need to work through. If they can work it out, they've cracked that. So there's no need to ever sit a test. Um, and it, yeah, so it's those kinds of things where what would work quite well in the classroom does, isn't, is not needed at home just because you've obviously got only ever a small number of children you can just have a conversation with. Um, and it's it's tricky to unlearn that approach because you naturally would be like, okay, and I feel like I need to do a worksheet on telling the time, whereas actually you could just live your life and say oh it's 10 to 3 and at 3 o'clock we're going to stop and do this and they're you know they're like how do I know what the time is right now so I've got enough time and then they'll learn to read the clock that way you know so it's yeah. kind of so when it's like relevant and real life moments yeah yeah, yeah. 
Um, okay, and um, I, I mean, I asked our, our earlier guest on the show about how um, home education manifests in, in her household. Um, and one of my questions was about the space. Um, because I follow lots of these amazing home educating families on Instagram and they've got these gorgeous like playroom come learning room, um, which none of them call schoolroom. Um, um, and we, we spoke previously with my previous guest about um, the difficulties of not having a learning space. What does it look like in your household? What do you do? um so i think the main issue we have in terms of physical space is that they create a lot of stuff we can't find spaces for. <laughs> so, at the moment, oh, as a, a parent of three i can say that that's not exclusive to like, I that. like, i'm sure they would do this anyway <laughs> um but at the moment they really like drawing cartoons they've been really inspired by um, a magazine we signed them up for and a visit to the story museum in oxford and so they really want to draw their own cartoons. So they spend quite a lot of time doing that. And obviously every drawing is precious because they took time on it. So what do I do with all these drawings? And they make crafts at various groups and then I don't know where to put them. <laughs> so um, yeah, I don't have a lovely, beautiful storage uh, solution, <laughs> I'm afraid. And I don't have a school room either. Um, we are also like only about half the time in the house and half the time I think that that's a big misconception, isn't it? That home educating families are are at home learning. It doesn't always happen at home, does it? No. And I think the problem is, is that because everyone had a taste of kind of pandemic schooling, they've a lot of people have put that onto me and said, oh, that must be what you do. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I do nothing like pandemic schooling. And I, in fact, found the pandemic incredibly stressful being stuck like in my four walls with my children. Um, so we definitely go out to lots of different things so they they attend a forest school so they spend all day in the woods with friends doing crafts and um, activities and games um they do we do some things on zoom so we do french lessons over zoom and um my older son does an inventors club my younger son does a music lessons and we do gymnastics out of the house and then i run because i'm a um, used to be a science teacher so i run a science um, club for some local home ed families and we all get together and spend about two hours playing and 20 minutes doing an experience experiment <laughs> nice. But, um, <laughs> nice to be together so we definitely spend a lot of time with other children which I think people who did the pandemic schooling don't appreciate that because obviously you weren't allowed to mm. um, so pe people often say oh there's this big socialization problem well there was in pandemic schooling I can tell you but there's not in home education you you've got plenty of opportunities to meet other families and you could either do that just for sort of play in the social aspect or you can do sort of classes and in certainly I mean in big cities there's like we could be if I had the money we could be at, at something every hour of every day um just for home education groups and classes and museums put on things and all of that um in terms of how I approach um education with my children so I'm very much kind of self-directed education with a little bit of structure through a Charlotte Mason inspired approach um so just to I, I learned all this vocabulary becoming a home educator so um self-directed education is the idea that the child can choose what they're interested in and then you facilitate that as their educator so my older son really wants to be an inventor so we have facilitated that through signing him up for this inventors club that he can participate in we collect various bits of cardboard and junk that he can assemble we bought a glue gun we allow him space and time to invent his things he does a lot of inventing with lego as well and we allow him to watch kind of youtube videos of people who've designed cool machines out of lego that he can nice. kind of start copying or be inspired by so that would be an approach um that we would use across everything so anything my children are sort of interested in we would then be like okay can we dig into that and really sort of help you to to meet that interest and out of anything that you do comes a lot of learning so um julie bogart who's like a home ed hero over in america she says you can learn everything through anything so inventing is like um the any anything and we can learn everything through that because he'll need to be drawing and writing and doing maths and measuring and calculating and then persevering so like the character development that comes through that so it didn't work and i'm going to tweak it and i'm going to try again that kind of um 
resilience that comes through that. So you can learn everything through anything, but it's not going to happen in a really linear fashion. And again, this is one of those differences between sort of a school approach and a um, the home ed approach is the school approach is very thought through like we need to do this before they can do that before they can do this that's what a curriculum is it's a very carefully thought through program of how to do things um but if you go down a more sort of self-directed approach it can be a bit random so you know my kids could be doing something really quite complicated in maths before they've learned fractions or something like that because the complicated thing is what they need right now and the yeah. fractions is not needed for that thing that they're doing right now. So it tends to be a little bit kind of piecemeal. Um, uh, that doesn't mean it's incomplete. Um, it just means that it's, well, it's made to, to measure, measure, really, isn't it? Yeah. Made to measure. Yeah. Um, it sounds wonderful. <laughs> I, 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 whenever I talk to home educators and, and really talk to them, I'm very envious and I, I, I think I would like to home educate my my children, but also, um, in all honesty, I do enjoy having a little break from them when they go off to school, if I'm honest. Um, and the constraints of having to work as well whilst they're at home, you know, for some families that must be really tricky. So what would you say are the, the major difficulties that home educating families and the community faces? Um, so, You've, up, you've picked up on some things that are tricky. So working is very tricky, particularly when the children are young, um, because of, you, you're giving them to provide them with an education that's really facilitating all of those things. You have to be available. Mm -hmm. so some parents make it work by doing if, if there's two parents, like they both work part time, maybe. So they've got different sort of times that they're off and able to help in the week or they, they kind of flip the week round. So they they do kind of like on a weekend is more like what we would see as kind of the school days if I can put that in quotation marks and they're really hands-on then and then in a week they have a bit more kind of going out to friends houses for the day or something so it can work there's a financial um consideration as well so you know we pay for a lot of the classes we attend and obviously that that is a financial cost but the biggest one is that I don't earn a full salary um but the biggest difficulty I think is actually uh, none of those things because families can get around those things the biggest one is actually an imposition on the community from local authority or from government um trying to impose a school approach onto home education um because they basically believe education is equal to school um, and while you can get an excellent education at school, you can also get an excellent education without school. And those are not synonymous things. Um, and so what tends to happen is we've we've seen an increase in local authorities being very um, suspicious of parents being unaccepting of a parent's report when they report to the local authority and say, these are the things we've covered. The local authority are turning around and saying, prove it, essentially. Um, so we're assumed to be guilty instead of innocent um, and we have to kind of prove that we're doing enough um, to them. Our word isn't acceptable um, and we fear that there will be, there's just more to come down the road. Um, so there was a schools bill going through Parliament which is now kind of dead but it hasn't gone away um, where they want it to register. It completely needs to go away, doesn't it? Yes, yeah, it absolutely does. But um, it's bad for schools as well, absolutely. Yeah. Bad for um, everybody. But, <laughs> but most importantly, them. the children. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's not done with them in mind at all. It's done with regulation and standardisation in mind rather than what's best for actual children. Um, so they want to register all home educators, which sounds quite innocuous, but actually um, we know from things that have been said in meetings that the this is the first stage in them wanting to impose monitoring and regulation onto home education. And if you come in and say, you've got to follow this curriculum to be considered you know, suitable in your provision as a home educator, you've essentially killed it dead. Because as I was saying just now, you know, the whole point is to tailor it to the child and to follow what their strengths and interests are and to support them in their weaknesses and that means you're not going to walk a really neat line along the national curriculum um, and coming in imposing the national curriculum and testing children to make sure that they've they're in line with school children is just completely 
um, would take all the joy out of it actually, and put a lot of um, a lot of the benefits and the strengths of it would be would be taken away. Um, also, it's worth saying now that there's a lot of home educated children who have special educational needs, and that's um, often a reason that parents have chosen that route mm. because they weren't keeping up with the curriculum, and it was it was causing a lot of anxiety or um, even trauma for some children because they felt so behind at school the whole time. Actually, being able to relax and take things at the child's pace was is the right thing for that child and coming in saying oh well they're not at their age related standards is is completely it's not it's not following the law actually which is to take into account their age ability aptitude and any special educational needs the child has but because often the local authorities don't know the child at all they they just have a tick box approach can the child you know a child in school age 6 is doing dit, 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 dit. is this child doing it it's not really trusting the parent and and looking at what they've said and what their children can do so yeah that's why i say the greatest threat is to home education is an imposition of curriculum that takes away the fact that it's a tailored approach mm. well that brings me really neatly and nicely onto my last question which is of course um what can the department for education learn from home educators what do they need to know they need to know that education is not synonymous with school, that what works really well in school um, and can be a real benefit to the children there is not imposed easily onto the home for the same benefit. So I've already mentioned tests as an example, but curricula, worksheets, these are great tools for classrooms. They, they don't really work that well in the home because you're having daily discussions about what's interesting to the child where they're at, how you can move them forward. They're, they're attending different things through the week that are at different places and everything is educationally valid. And I think we can often fall into the trap of thinking the only like education is like school subjects, but actually that's not the way the world works. Like, um, you know, if something breaks in my house, I'm going to have to either pay someone to come and fix it who knows who's learned how to fix that device or I could YouTube it and look up and see if I can do it myself or I could look it up in a book or the internet so the idea that like school subjects are the only kind of learning that's going on and the only kind of learning we need for life is is silly when we think about it but yeah. we've sort of absorbed that into our I know it's a sh and, it, and it's being so streamlined in schools you know these days particularly in secondary schools is is it's not really very broad at all is it it's and you know my brother's a very creative person he's in the arts and he's he, he often teaches in schools when he's not acting and you know the it's so great for those children to experience sort of that drama and music you know they're they're really positive things even if they don't end up being your career um for children and they learn so much from it and gain so many skills, but that, you know, because they're not the hardcore STEM or whatever, mm. easily be judged as being somehow less, less in some way when actually they're not. Mm. Lovely. Um, well, not lovely, quite <laughs> annoying and frustrating. Um, <laughs> but thank you so much for sharing your experience of home education. And I'm sure that all the teachers that are listening to this um, episode of Teachers Talk Radio will know other home educators might be thinking about home educating their own children. Um, uh, maybe they've got students in their class and the parents are thinking of home educating. And I'm hoping that um, listening to these really valuable experiences will give us all some really good food for thought. So thank you so much for, for sharing that with us today. Pleasure. Well, what a conversation we've had today. Very useful, interesting, and um, has got me thinking a lot about really what we do in the classroom and maybe any adjustments that we might be able to make to really make education more enjoyable and accessible for all of our young learners. So that's it for this week. Thank you very much for joining me on Teachers Talk Radio. And I look forward to seeing you next week on the morning break with me, 
Holly Kingmand. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.